Anyways, hey, we're so glad that you're here. Amen. Are you glad to be here today? Amen. So glad to have our online audience tuning in, uh, just having a, a church outside of the local church. And so again, thank you for tuning in. Just so glad that you're a part of today. You, have you been enjoying our series called Intervention? Uh, I just believe that God is continuing to do some things in our lives to help us grow, to help us mature. And how many of you know that when it comes to growing, uh, it's never an easy process? What I mean by that is that there's always growing pains. Can anybody say, oh me, oh my? <laughs> you know, I, 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 uh, I've been purposing to, to golf a little bit more lately and uh, just trying to get regimented in my, my uh, discipline to become a better golfer because I'm a better golfer in my head than I actually am. So I'm like, I'm going to do something to, to get better at that. But as I've been being more diligent to get out and play and practice, I've been noticing in the mornings my body hurts. And it's just because I've not had a regular regiment as, as I have been as, as, as far as practicing golf. And my point is, is that even in the golf or practicing golf, your body starts to remind you that there's a growth process, right? So when it comes to growing in God and this idea of having an intervention, uh, sometimes it's just not always comfortable on our flesh, right? And so when you think about it, just simply defining an intervention, it is this. It is an orchestrated attempt by one or many people, usually family and friends, to get someone to seek help with a crisis or other serious problems. An intervention really, uh, relies heavily on having the family as a whole enter the phase of recovery. This helps take the focus off the struggling individual but it notes the need for the entire family unit to change in an effort for everyone involved to get healthy. And so as we talk about an intervention in the church, it's not pointing the finger at you or anyone individually to say, look at how messed up you are, right? We're all messed up. We all have issues. If you don't think you got issues, that's your issue. You don't think you have any. And so the whole purpose of intervention is for us as a church family to get healthy and to get whole. And if you remember, we said this, that the Apostle Paul, he was writing letters to the church. It's in the epistles of the Bible. And we saw that or see that his letters being written to the church are really letters of intervention. He's simply saying, listen, I want to exhort you. I want to just encourage you. You've been doing things great. There's things that you are just, just knocking it out of the ballpark on. And he says, but then on the other hand, he says, there's some areas. He says that I've got to talk to you about because there's areas of correction. There's areas that I want to give you direction in to, to help you in those areas so that you become healthy and strong and a strong follower of Christ, right? Now, when you think about him writing a letter, obviously he was not able to go to the churches to actually give them a face-to-face -face visit. Therefore, he wrote the letter. But if you think about some of the issues that he talked about, he had to be concerned of how they would be received, how would people hear what he was writing to them? Would they hear it in the right tone? Would they hear it with the right heart? Would they understand what he was trying to convey? And if you've ever received an email or ever received a text or ever sent an email or sent a text, and on the other end of receiving that, the person that received it heard it with a tone, heard it and received it with an attitude, and therefore, you got confrontational, you got defensive. You thought, what in the world are they talking about? I can't believe that they're coming at me like that. And then you confront the person, and when you talk to them, they're like, dear God, that was not my heart at all. Do you know what I'm talking about? 
And so therefore, in the written letter, you've got to understand that Paul is saying, I hope that they don't hear this any other way with any attitude, with any meanness or, or, or angst in my heart. I simply want them to understand how much I love them. And therefore, and remember, he said, I'm speaking to you as a spiritual father. And I really am looking to help you. I mean, think about it for that matter. You know, there was the one uh, uh, family in the, the church of Corinth, and word had been getting around that the son was having an affair with his stepfather or with his father's wife. It was his stepmother. And so Paul writes a letter to the church and to the leadership of the church and says, listen, there is gossip that is getting around and there's this information and stories that are getting back to all the churches in the area and we're hearing about this situation that's going on in your church that this son is having an affair with his stepmom. Now he wasn't writing and saying, hey, I just wanted to, wanted to gossip a little bit more. No, he wrote the letter and said, listen, you need to correct this. You need to address it because it's hurting your reputation as a church. It's hurting your your influence in the life of people. It's hurting the local church. And really, it's it's hurting God. Are you understanding what I'm talking about? And, And then also, it's hurting the family. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul having to write a church and saying, listen, there's some sexual immorality. There's some problems going on in your church. And listen, you really need to address it simply to express the heart of God in this matter. Amen? Well, so obviously, if you can see where I'm headed with this, just in talking about some of the sensitivity and just the the sensitive issues that we deal with in a church, obviously, there are issues that are sensitive concerning issues of our culture today. And there are issues that are of popular opinion and they they are mainstream in our culture today. And because it's popular or because we're we're inundated with the the public opinion, it seems right. Did you hear what I said? Because we're bombarded with all these ideals, because we have all these things of of issues that are becoming a hot political topic or just of, of popular opinion, we find ourselves asking the question, well, is it right? Is it wrong? Does God see it this way or does God see it that way? And obviously, we're not short of man's opinion. But the question is, is what is God's opinion? What does God say about particular issues that we face as a culture today? And as I said, if you can see where I'm going with this, obviously, in this past week, our Supreme Court had brought into our legislation that... uh, Gay marriage is legalized through all 50 states. And so therefore, it really brings to the forefront this conversation. And we, we've got to answer the question. Are you here this morning? And obviously, this particular talk, topic of, of what we're getting ready to, to jump into is really something that hasn't really been something that we've had to talk about in years past. But as I said, because of popular opinion, because of just our political stance as a, as a nation, it's important for us to address this issue to see what God says about it. Are you here? And obviously, we can have this conversation and have this dialogue in the right perspective, with the right heart, with the right tone. Amen? 
But as we look at our culture, when we begin to have this kind of conversation, we, we've seen that anyone that disagrees with these modern ideals are considered a bigot. We've also seen that the only person that is not entitled to an opinion is individuals that hold to a biblical standard or value. People can disagree with Christian values or biblical standards, but when it comes to a Christian or the church that makes a biblical stance and holds to a biblical standard and values, then all of a sudden the church or Christian becomes intolerant or is considered a hater or just really unloving unloving and not showing a Christian attitude, right? But I'm of the belief that we can disagree without being disagreeable. Amen? And what I mean by that is that we don't always have to see things eye to eye with our culture today, but we don't have to be mean-spirited about it. We don't have to be ugly. We don't have to be indignant And I find it interesting, especially with social media being the way that it is, and so many things that you see on social media that are just hateful. And they're doing it in the name of Christianity. And and it's not representation, or it's not a representation of the heart of God. And so I really want us to begin to look at just what God's heart is in regard to this topic of homosexuality not looking to be disagreeable, but just finding out what God's heart says about it. Now, first and foremost, many of us know this scripture, and it says in John chapter 3, verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that who would ever believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Did you notice in that verse, right in the very first line, it says, For God so loved the Christian. Did you see that? No, the Bible says, for God so loved the world. So therefore, God loves the straight person. God loves the gay person. God loves the lesbian. God loves the transsexual. God loves the bisexual. Did you hear me? God loves people. It's not based on sexual orientation. The Bible says that God loves the world. He also loves the Christian. He loves the Muslim. He loves the Buddhist. He loves the atheist. Those that don't love him, those that hate him or not even are believing in him, God says he still loves them. God loves the black person. He loves the white person. He loves the brown person and every other color in between. God loves the world. Now let me take it farther to stretch your thinking. God loves the murderer. God loves the rapist. God loves the child molester. Now all of a sudden we start getting backing up the wagon. But he said he loved the world. His love is not based on on condition. He loves us irregardless. And therefore, when it comes to the love of God, it is not based on you having the opportunity of earning His love. You cannot do it. Are you here this morning? You cannot earn God's love. He loves you in spite of all of your mess. 
And like I said, you got mess. We all got it. We all have some closets that we've got to clean, whether it's a little or a lot. But nevertheless, God still loves us. And then in John chapter 3, verse uh, 17, it says, For Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Did you know that Jesus did not come and say, Oh, I love you, but mm, you're gay. Sorry. I condemn you. No, he doesn't come to condemn. He didn't say, Oh, by the way, I love you because you're of, uh, of Jewish descent. No. He says, I love you. Oh, you're black. You're white. You're brown. No. He loves us irrespective of who we are. He didn't come and condemn and say, I love you with the condition of, I love you because I love you. And I've come to give my life for you. Are you here this morning? Amen. And so, you know, when we start getting into this this topic and start dealing with some of the, the, the sensitivity of it, people will often say, well, the message of the Bible is... Tolerance. No, the message of the Bible is not tolerance. The message of the Bible is love. I said the message of the Bible is love. And the Bible, you know, we, we see this before, uh, you know, people say, well, I believe in God. And because I believe in God, I'll go to heaven. No. The Bible says not just believing in God gets you to heaven. The question is, is what did you do with Jesus, the one that came to die for your sins and pay the penalty for your sin? And therefore, through Him, we have the ability to be saved. Jesus said, not being intolerant, or not being, I should say, not being tolerant, Jesus said, there's only one way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through me. So we say, you know, or the Bible says this, it says, it says, broad is the gate that leads to destruction, but narrow is the way that leads to eternal life. And so what is the narrow way? It's love. And love will lead us to Jesus. Love will lead us to forgiveness. Love will lead us to God. Can you say amen? amen. Now, I, I, I realize that this hits home for many people. You might have individuals that, have lived a gay lifestyle, homosexuality. Maybe it's real close. I've got to say that within my family tree, we've had family members that lived a homosexual lifestyle. Now, I know you're asking me or asking the question, well, what did you do? Did you preach at them? Did you Bible thump them? Did you beat them over the head? Did you tell them how gross and how nasty and all that? No. Well, what did you do? We loved them. We just loved them. We just loved them. I said, we just loved them unconditionally. Showing the love of God. Just purposing to extend our hearts and extend an example of what Jesus was all about. Well, then you might ask the question, well, what if somebody that is a practicing homosexual, lesbian, or what all the other what, sexuality or preferences, whatever you want to call it. What if they come to your church? What if they come here, Pastor? What do we do? Now, I know for religious folks, they, they get this idea, well, bless the Lord, if they come into our church, they better get their act straight. Well, then you better leave now because I know you don't have all your act straight. So what do we do when they come? We love them. 
We love them unconditionally. You know why? Because just like you, you need Jesus, so does the homosexual. So does the murderer. So does the rapist. We all need Jesus. So do we say, well, come and be a part of our church, and if you're, if you're one of us, you can belong? No, let's love them and introduce them to the love of God. Come on, are you, are you tracking with me this morning? I hope you hear my heart because this is a real sensitive subject, and I know it gets real hairy, but I want us to understand that we as a church are to express the love of God. That we're to express the love of God. And let me just share this with you. In our last church that we pastored, it came to our attention that there was this woman that attended our church and her ex-husband just got out of prison. And somebody brought to our attention that the reason that he was in prison because he had a record of being a child molester. Well, now all of a sudden I have this knowledge as a pastor and I have to do something with it. Well, what did you do, pastor? Did you kick him out of the church? That scuzzy, dirty child molester? Is that what you did, pastor? No, we loved him. Now, how did you love him? We had a private meeting with him, and I said, this is what I understand. Is this true? And he says, yep, that, that's, that's the case. And I said, well, you know what? I want you to know that we love you, and I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm here to help you grow in your relationship with God. Now, because I love you, I want to help set some boundaries and safeguards for yourself and for our church. And so this is what <clears throat> I'm going to do as a pastor and what I'm going to request of you. I said, number one, I said, there will be an usher assigned to you. I mean, he's not going to hound dog you, but there's always going to be an usher that has an eye on you. So that way, you can't find yourself in compromising positions. There's a level of accountability. Secondly, you are to never be in our children's ministry, and you are never to be one-on-one with a child anywhere within, a, within our church. Never, ever are you to be alone with a child. And I said, in the last thing, is that I'm going to have a private meeting with the parents of the church, and I'm going to inform them that, that we have somebody that is a sex offender within our church, but these are the boundaries in which we set for your safety. And I'm saying to our church that we're going to love you unconditionally. And I said, if you're okay with that, then we're, we're going to welcome you open-armed. And he says, well, I'm, I'm okay with that. And then maybe the pressure got too great and he, he chose never to come back. But I did have the meeting with the parents to let them know. And I've got to let you know that there was probably only 90, or 99% of the people were on board with what we were going to do. There was maybe only one that says, I, I have a hard time accepting that, knowing that that person's here. What am I talking about? I'm talking about loving people in spite of where they're at. Are you tracking with me this morning? Because people need God. So what is God's opinion on this issue of homosexuality? Obviously, we hear all through our media. We hear through popular opinion. Well, what does God say? Now, once again, I'm not trying to be disagreeable, but here's the thing. As a pastor, it is my responsibility to tell you what the Bible says so that you are informed as to what God's heart, God's opinion is on the matter, and therefore you can make your own value system based upon the Word of God. Amen? So, to begin with, in Genesis, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, it says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now, this is Adam that is speaking. 
And really, Adam is prophesying. He's speaking forth and setting boundaries for the family unit that establishes a security and accountability so that people don't get hurt. So when we begin to break that down, in verse 24, it says that you'll leave your mother and your father. Meaning what? There will not be any incest. He says you'll be joined to his wife, which means there's no fornication, no adultery, or no homosexuality. And then he says you will become one flesh, which means that that is the only kind of relationship you are to have. There will not be any bestiality. Are you tracking with me? All right. Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22 and 23. It says, You shall not lie with a man and as with a woman. It is an abomination. Neither shall you lie with any beast and defile yourself with it. Neither shall any woman yield herself to a beast to lie with it. It is confusion, perversion, and degradingly carnal. Now once again, I'm just reporting the news. This isn't my opinion. I'm just sharing God's word. In Judges chapter 1 verse 7, it says, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the city around them in a similar manner to these have given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh are set forth as an example. Now notice those words. Sodom and Gomorrah is set forth as an example. Suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. We obviously know that the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, it gets its name from being Sodomites, obviously, homosexuality. And God says, I'm going to bring judgment. And obviously, He destroyed the city. Once again, if God was okay, and God didn't just come in and slap them upside the head and said, well, I, I, I just can't stand what you're doing. No, He gave them multiple opportunities to make corrections in their life. But obviously, we see the judgment that fell as a result of where they were at. Does that make sense? All right. In Romans chapter 1, verse 24 through 33, it says, Therefore, God also gave them up, uh, up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Now, I want you to notice what it says there right at the very first. God gave them up to uncleanness, meaning they made a choice. So therefore, based on their, uncho- their own choice, he's not going to force them. He's not going to make them change. He says he gave them up to their own desires. And then in verse 25, it says, Who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, For this reason God gave them up to vile passions. He gave them up to the passions of their heart the lust of their flesh. For even their women exchanged their natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men leaving the the natural use of the woman burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Verse 28, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind. Now let's stop there for just a minute. Notice it says that they did not retain the knowledge of God in their heart. And therefore God turned them over to a debased mind. What that means is that they had the knowledge, but because they gave themselves over to passions, they did not have the ability to discern right from wrong any longer. All right? 
Then it goes on to say, it says, uh, gave him over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting, being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. Evil they are whisperers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, innovators of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who know that know the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are, are deserving of death, not only do, do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Did you notice that last part? God says, listen, you can choose to live a certain way, but there's consequences. But that last verse even went on to say, those who approve of it, give their stamp of approval, it says that same judgment is on them. Kind of sounds like our government, doesn't it? And once again, hear my heart. I'm not making a judgment call. I'm just reporting the news. You doing okay? You're awful quiet out there. All right. I'm preaching to the online audience, I guess. <laughs> All right, 1 Corinthians. We're finding out what God's Word says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 9 through 11. It says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Hear those words. Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor rivals, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 11. And such were some of you. Now notice those words. And such were some of you. So what that means is that you once lived that lifestyle, but you made a turn. Did you notice? It's possible to make a turn. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. The Word of God is real clear on it, isn't it? Now once again, God is not a hater. The reason that God is establishing this is because He loves people that much. And if you remember or notice that Scripture says that a man is to have his own wife and a wife is to have her own husband. And for the sake of our children in here, I'm going to paint a picture, but I'm trusting that the adults know what I mean. God made a very unique puzzle. One of the pieces was a man and one of the pieces was a woman. And they fit together uniquely. Just saying. If you have two pieces that are the same, they don't fit together. Now, you can force that. You can make it happen. But God made a very unique puzzle. Are you following? All right, I trust that you all got my meaning on that one. All right. So, why do people struggle with these tendencies? Why do people struggle with being a thief, being an adulterer, being a homosexual? Well, some would say, well, I was born this way. 
God made me this way. Now, let me just give you an opportunity to paint a picture in your mind. There are millions and millions and millions of children over the scope of humanity that were lost through miscarriage, right? Now, life begins at conception. And so regardless of whether that child was lost at five months, six months, 12 weeks, there's still a soul. And that child went to heaven. Think of all the mothers that have aborted children that are far into their pregnancy, but nevertheless, they abort those children. They are 100% child. They have 100% a soul. Where do those babies go? They go to heaven. And out of the millions and millions and millions and millions of children that have went to heaven, do you think any of them got to heaven and said, oh, by the way, God, I'm gay? No. They don't arrive to heaven saying, well, I was made this way. No, they were made perfectly in the image of God. And just as I said, God did not create somebody to be homosexual, nor, and again, this is according to the scriptures that we just read, nor has God created somebody to be a fornicator, to be an idolater, to be an adulterer, to be a thief, to be a drunkard, to be an extortionist. God doesn't create people to be those things. So how is it that people find themselves in those scenarios? It all begins with a thought. I said it all begins with a thought and one gives place to that thought and it's what we would call temptation. Are you here this morning? Now, let's just put homosexuality on the side for a moment. Has anybody ever woke up in their marriage one day and said, I think I'm going to have an affair and therefore you can call me Mr. or, Mr. Mr. or Mrs. Adulterer from now on? No, nobody just woke up and said, I think that I'm going to go sleep with my neighbor. There was a thought, a suggestion, a temptation that came, and upon entertaining the thought, it became big enough to where you acted on the act. Does that make sense? No child ever grows up and they say, or or at the age of two, and they look at a little statue of a cow and say, you know what? I'm going to worship this little cow, and it's going to be my God. I am going to be an idolater. No. How did they start thinking that way? There was a thought that was engrafted in their thinking through what? Through a mom and a dad that began to steer their thinking and said, this is how we worship. Right? Nobody says, I'm going to be a thief. I'm going to make a living at being an extortionist. No, they look at their scenario. They try to find the easy way out or just they give in to temptation and say, I can do it and I won't be found out. Nobody wakes up saying, I'm just going to be a, I'm going to be a criminal. I'm going to be on the world's most wanted list, right? It's through giving of a thought that it takes place. Has anybody ever said, well, you know what? I'm just going to be a child molester because I'm just attracted to little kids. They had to give a thought to that. Does that make sense? Now, let me put it in the context of sexuality. I was raised in church, as I've said, all my life growing up. I knew right from wrong. I was taught in the ways of 
what it means to be abstinent, not to have relationship outside of marriage. I grew up knowing this. I had convictions in my heart. But you take the perfect storm, even a Christian kid, and put them in a scenario with an attractive girl, and you give place to your thoughts and put yourself in uncompromising positions, you know what's going to happen, right? The first time you may say, no, no, I can't do it. Can't, no, 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 that's not right, man. Don't want to displease God. But you put yourself in those positions long enough, the best Christian kid can fall into temptation, right? I'm the poster child. I'm not perfect. My point is, is that we all, if given the right scenarios, given ourselves the ability to let our thought life become bigger and the temptation become stronger, everybody will give in to some form of temptation if we don't do something with a thought. Now, I've heard it said before. I think somebody had shared this with me before uh, at, at church before. Said that they knew somebody that was homosexual and they said, I was born this way. And they said, I, I knew, like, I can't remember if it was like three years old. I can't remember. I knew that I was gay when I was three years old. Okay, let me just, let me just reason with you on a common sense basis. Homosexuality is based on a desire for physical intimacy with a person of the same sex. And you say, oh, it is not. Okay. I enjoy getting together with some pastor friends of mine. We go for a motorcycle ride for a week every year. And I long to, and I'm excited to get together with them. I look forward to the fellowship of that. We even, we, we stay from one hotel. This year, we're, we're camping out. I don't know how that's going to go. But this year, we're, we're going to be bunked together. But it's not based on a sexual desire to be with them. I just want their fellowship. So what do you call that? Do you call that homosexuality? No, you call that friendship, right? So when we appeal to common sense... The homosexual desire is based upon a desire for intimacy, physical intimacy with an individual. No three-year-old child understands what that means. So to say, well, I knew that I was gay at the age of three. It's not, not right. Not true. Can't happen. Can not happen. Amen? All right. So continuing with this line of thinking, people say, well, I was born this way, and we see this becoming part of our modern culture. You doing okay? <laughs> wow, it's fun when you kind of have these conversations in church. Whoa, praise the Lord. All right, so people say, I was born this way, and obviously with our culture today, we have little boys that are saying, well, I, I believe that I'm a girl. Mom, Dad, I want to be a girl. Or little girls saying, I believe that I'm a boy. Okay, let's again reason to common sense. I've got a little girl that is very artsy, and she's, she is very imaginative. And she, for the longest time, because of Grandpa, Grandpa likes horses, got her loving horses. She would watch horse cartoons, she would watch horse shows, she would dry, draw horses all day long, and then it got to the point where she's going around the house acting like a horse stomping and prancing and she's doing her thing, you know what I mean? 
And it's getting to the point where I'm like, stop it. Be a little girl. Well, I'm a horsey. No, you're a little girl. Now, why did I begin to correct that? Because we would start going to the store, and my little girl that needs to be a little girl is prancing around like a horse. And I'm like, dear God, kid, you're embarrassing the heck out of me. Sit down, be a girl. You know what I mean? What's the difference? You say, well, I believe that I was born a little basset hound. You go give them therapy and you say, get up on the couch. And they say, no, I'm not allowed. (laughs) So what do we do as a parent? The Bible says, train up a child in the ways that they'll go and they'll not depart from them. If a little boy is saying, I feel like I'm a girl, you begin to redirect their thinking. No, you're a little boy. See, this is your piece of the puzzle. You're a little boy. And this is what little boys do. This is how little boys play. Now, once again, we seem to get real squeamish when we talk about that. But let me ask you the question. For us guys, if your little boy comes up and says, Dad, I want to be a baseball player. What do you say as a father? Oh, I guess you'll figure it out. No, you start to teach them the principles of what it is to be a baseball player. You throw a ball, you catch the ball, you swing the bat, you put them in Little League, you begin to instruct them and train them in the ways that they shall go, and they'll become a baseball player. We do that on a natural level, but when it comes to this issue of sexuality, we have to get real squeamish, and we just say, well, that's how God made them. No, God made us as moms and dads to begin to help direct that. Does that make sense? Now, individuals that would say this, they would say, well, I don't have a desire to be with a man or a woman. Or I should say it this way. A a man would say, you know, I, I just don't have any desire to be with a woman. Or a woman may say that as well. I just don't have a desire to be with a man. That's okay. The Bible speaks of individuals that are called eunuchs, meaning they, just, they don't ever have a relationship with somebody of the opposite sex. But here's what ends up happening. The enemy comes along and says, oh, well, you don't like girls? Well, then you must be gay. Therefore, you must, you must start looking at the boys. Or the, the girl says, well, I'm just not attracted to men. And so the enemy comes and says, okay, well, then you must be a lesbian. Oh, I guess I'm a lesbian. Maybe, maybe if that's not what's going on, i got to look this way. And the enemy is very good at bringing about a counterfeit, an answer for some solution. Are you doing okay? Now let's make it personal. Let's bring it home. We'll close out here in just a couple minutes. We'll, we'll, we'll take it right to the wire. You all doing okay, right? All right, so the individual saying... I'm feeling the temptation. I'm feeling this way. Many times we want to condemn somebody that is tempted. To be tempted is to be human. Your temptation might not be this, but it might be that. Every one of us are susceptible to temptation. I've known ministers that have come out of a gay lifestyle. There are Christians still today that still are tempted with those thoughts. 
with those feelings, with those emotions. But it's a matter of what do you do with that? The issue isn't gay or straight. The Bible tells us this, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Are you here this morning? All have sinned. And the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If somebody's here and they said, I've been living as a homosexual, but today I said, Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I want to know you. Instantly, they are born into the family of God. And we say, well, wait a minute. What are they going to do when they leave here? Are they going to go back into the old lifestyle? That's another conversation. But this moment, this time, they said, I need Jesus. What difference is it is, uh, or, or, or is it the man that just murdered somebody last weekend and came in here and said, I want Jesus. Well, wait a minute, you just killed somebody last week. He still loves them. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What about the adulterer? The person that might be in this room right now, and you're having an extramarital affair, but you say today, God... I need your love and I need your forgiveness. When you leave this place, does it mean that you might get all your act put together right now? No, not necessarily. The Bible says that you're a new creation. So when you receive Christ, you're brand new on the inside. But did you know that your flesh, your emotions, still might have some time to make some shifts and some changes? Do you realize that you still live in the same body? Your body may have had some desires and cravings before Christ. Does it mean that those cravings and desires and those thoughts are going to change instantly? No. The Bible says to renew our minds. It says don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. When you receive Christ in your life, your mind is still unrenewed. And so therefore, your will and your emotions may not change overnight. When you came to God... He loved you just the way that you are. Gay, straight, black, white. But obviously he doesn't want us to stay the same. He desires more for us. He wants to begin to help us in our desires. He wants to help us in our personal struggles. And all of us have struggles. Yours might be something... It might be something different of somebody else's. Now, folks, don't listen to me. This is where the sovereignty and the grace of God comes into place. If you remember, we read the scripture concerning those that practice a lifestyle. Upon receiving Christ does not mean that you may not still struggle with old habits. But when it refers to those that are practicing a lifestyle, it's an individual that says... God, I don't care. It's an arrogant, willful, rebellious, unteachable attitude that says, God, this is who I am. This is what I want to do. Like it or lump it, I'm going to do my thing. It's for that individual that God says, there's consequence to your choice. But anybody that sincerely says, God, I love you, the sovereignty and grace is there to help them. Now you say, how long does the grace extend? I don't know. I'm not God. 
I don't know how long it extends to somebody. The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. So based upon your knowledge, God begins to hold people accountable to their knowledge. But I'm not going to stand in judgment to say, well, I know you were practicing as a homosexual. You got saved. It's two weeks later. You got to have your act all together. That's not the love of God. That's not the compassion of God. Amen? So, let's just say somebody came here. They've been practicing a lifestyle of a homosexual, lesbian, transsexual, bisexual. They give their life to Christ this morning. They leave this place and get hit by a car and die instantly. Where do they go? Some of a religious nature would say, well, surely they'd go to hell because they're gay. Jesus paid the price for them to be free. They obviously didn't have a chance to adjust lifestyle, but their heart was right toward God. And so I believe that they would go to heaven. And once again, I'm not going to stand in a place of judgment. Amen? What's our role? Our role is to love. Now, just real quickly in the last statements, you know, there's again a lot of talk about our nation and things that are going on, and so I won't labor this point because we went a little bit long. But is our country going to see some effects of this? Sure. The reason being is that 98% or 98.4% of our nation is heterosexual, but legislation was made based on 1.6% of the population. But it wasn't just based on sexual orientation. What this nation did, it once was a nation under God. And they've taken a stand against God. Now, for the church, for us, God's still going to bless. Is things going to change in our nation? Yeah. Will things happen quickly? Probably so. But Jesus also said these are things that you can expect because this is the sign of my coming. But for you and I, God is going to continue to bless out his, pour out His blessing on our life. Life is going to continue to get better. He needs you to look so good to people that they want what you have. Amen? Somebody that's struggling in alcoholism and drugs, they want to be free because you're free. Somebody that's struggling with idolatry or, 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 or uh, adultery, they see you being free, they want to be free. Somebody that's struggling with homosexuality, they see your life and they want to be free. Did you do okay this morning? Let's stand. I hope you heard my heart this morning. I know it's a sensitive subject. Maybe it just simply gives you something to think about, something to talk about, something to chew on. Our heart is to love people, not stand in criticism or to be judgmental. I hope you heard that this morning. Because God genuinely loves people and He died for them. He died for the world. Amen. Well, I'm just going to pray and dismiss you for the sake of the length of time. But I love you. I want you to know that God has His best interest in mind for you. And the best is yet to come. Amen. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for everyone that's here. Those that are watching online. God, I thank you that we heard the love of God and the heart of God not criticizing, not being judgmental, but just understanding how you see things. 
And so, God, help us love people unconditionally. So, God, we thank you. We thank you that you're expanding this church with people that are struggling in all areas of life because we can extend your love in Jesus' name. And we all said, Amen. 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 Well, God bless you. We'll see you next time. Amen.